Now, <clears throat> if that voice didn't sound like the ping you're used to hearing, <laughs> that's because that was Leland's dad. It's good to have his mom and dad with us this morning. Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, these things that we're studying and these events, uh, thinking about it over the last days and months, we're studying what, in one way of looking at it, was could be the, described as the darkest days of, of mankind in the history of the world. The uh, only truly sinless and innocent and perfect one to ever walk the face of the earth is being mistreated and crucified. Terrible thing to even contemplate. But at the same time, it's the greatest demonstration of God's grace in the history of mankind. So as we're looking at these events and seeing what's happening, let's don't lose sight of what these events accomplished, accomplished in us. Uh, without these things happening, we would be forever dead in our trespasses and sins. We would be forever separated from the God of heaven forever without hope and without God. And so these are important events. Let's remember that as we kind of delve into some of the details. Don't lose sight of what these events accomplished for, for us. Uh, we partake of the Lord's Supper to remember this every Lord's Day, as we will later today. But really, we ought to remember these things every day, shouldn't we? every single day remember what our Lord has done for us and I keep thinking about what Jonathan said a couple of weeks ago about the magnitude of God's love and I think that's what these events demonstrate to us and fortunately for us the love that he has for us is the agape love the uh, uh, sacrificial love and fortunately it does not depend upon the worthiness of the recipient but that love is there whether we deserve it or not and so these are the things we studied we finished up last week uh, Jesus and his 11 apostles are in the garden of Gethsemane uh, G Judas has approached leading uh, a fairly large group of Roman soldiers and servants of the high priest. And Jesus had identified himself as the one that they were searching for. And I suppose to remove all doubt, Jesus had uh, arranged, previously arranged with them a signal as he would identify Jesus. And so he identified him, greeted him with, with a kiss so that they would know, remember it was at night, it was dark and the, They'd approached with uh, swords and with clubs and with lanterns and torches, but still it was dark and it might be a little difficult to identify somebody, but Judas would, would recognize Jesus and he did and identified him with a kiss. And that's where we left off last week. So we're in Matthew 26, about verse 50. We'll be this morning for, for the most part going between Matthew and John and some in Luke. We'll refer to all four of the Gospels as we go. 
And so when Judas uh, identified Jesus with a kiss, it says that they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Uh, Matthew tells us in verse 51 that, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said, uh, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think I cannot appeal to my father and he will give will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's several thousand, 70 something thousand, I think that would be, or maybe more. Uh, how then will the uh, scriptures be fulfilled and say, uh, which say that it must happen this way? So what that says to me is Jesus is still talking about the scriptures being fulfilled. So in all of these uh, dire circumstances, remember his agony in the garden, drops of sweat like it was blood. But who's he thinking about? He's still thinking about you and me, isn't he? He said, these things have to be fulfilled according to the scriptures. Uh, Matthew just tells us it was one of those who was with Jesus. Uh, John gives us a little more information. John 18, verse 10, he said, Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. And Jesus told Peter, put away, uh, put the sword into the sheath, the, the cup which the fathers give me, shall I not drink it? So if you remember back in Luke 22, about verse 35, when they were back in the upper room, and Jesus was talking about swords and discovered that two of the apostles had swords, Apparently one of them was Peter, and he decided to use that sword at this point. But of course, at, even at that time, Jesus really wasn't talking about physical swords, and we talked about that at the time. Uh, Luke gives us a little more information of, uh, than the other Gospels. In Luke 22 and verse 51, uh, Jesus speaking to Peter after he had cut off the high priest's servant's ears, said, stop, no more of this and he touched his ear and healed him. So you would think, here's a high priest servant that cut off his ear and Jesus healed him. So if you were the man that was healed, that might make you stop and think a little bit, right? Maybe this fellow is who he claims to be. Look at all the proof. But again, their hatred was for Jesus. and We'll see that over and over and over. And the lesson today was such that all that just went right by them. They didn't pay no attention to the evidence and it reminds me of what Jesus said back in John 15 about them having no excuse. All the evidence was there that they needed to recognize Jesus as the Christ, but they ignored it all. Matthew and Mark tell us that, uh, but all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Uh, Mark tells us the same thing. I uh, don't know what was in their minds. We can't, and the Bible doesn't really tell us. It. I guess it was just fear. You can imagine this large group with swords and, and uh, lanterns and clubs and that kind of thing would be kind of scary. Uh, perhaps they thought that Jesus might escape like he had earlier. You know, in Luke 4 and verse 30, when he was in uh, Nazareth, I believe it was, and they were going to throw him off the cliff, it just said Jesus passed through their mist and escaped. It was like a miraculous thing. Perhaps they thought this was going to happen again, but no, not this time. Because 
as uh, Paul wrote in uh, what is Romans 5 and verse 6, it was the right time that he would die for the ungodly. So this time, Jesus was not going to escape. It wasn't because he couldn't. It's because he wouldn't. This was, this was the right time. Uh, Mark gives us a, a kind of an odd addition to what uh, the other Gospels tell us that happened this time. He said, a young man was following along with, behind Jesus, evidently following him and the apostles there. This is Mark 14 and verse 51. So the young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his body, and they seized him, but he pulled away free of the linen sheet and escaped. And so it, the Bible never tells us who that was. Some believe that it probably was Mark himself. We know that Mark was very close to the apostles later in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was arrested and in the, in the night the angel came and freed him from prison. You remember where he went after he was released from prison? He, Mark's mother's house, wasn't it? That's where he went that night. And of course all the other, the other uh, disciples were gathered there praying and that kind of thing. So the, the family was, was, was close to the apostles. So the, the scene then is that uh, all the apostles have fled. They have taken Jesus into custody. And uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all tell us that they took him to the house of the high priest. Now, normally the high priest's residence would be in the uh, temple vicinity. I think there were apartments and what have you attached. And there was a courtyard there. And in the courtyard of the high priest is where the so-called trial, I put that in air quotes, would take place. Uh, John gives us a little, a little more information at first. <clears throat> excuse me. At first, they took him to Annas, the high priest. As I understand it, Annas was the one that the Jews considered to be the rightful high priest at the time. But the Romans had removed him from the high priesthood and put his son-in-law Caiaphas in his place. So whatever they were going to do with Jesus, the Jews would want Annas to kind of bless what they were going to do first. And so they took him to Annas first. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us that, that Peter was following at a distance. And I suppose just about every preacher has a sermon based on following at a distance. Not a good thing to do usually, is it? Um, John tells us there was also another uh, disciple that was with Peter following at a distance. Most believe that to be John. It said that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside so that the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. So now there, Peter and evidently John are in this courtyard where the, this trial is going to be taking place. And of course, you remember that Jesus had already told the disciples, all of his apostles, that they would all deny him. And when Peter vehemently said, no, if everybody else, but not, not me, not me. And he said, yes, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so it's at this time, this servant girl that was the gatekeeper, letting people in and out of this courtyard, uh, saw Peter and she said, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. No, not me. You, you're mistaken here. So that was the first 
denial. So John begins to tell us a little bit then about this uh, conversation with Annas. And Annas asks Jesus about his teaching. And Jesus says, well, you know, I've, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but I've taught openly in the temple. I've taught in the synagogues. Everybody knows what I've been teaching. Why don't you just ask the people that I've taught? And, of course, one of the officers there struck Jesus saying, is that the way to talk to the high priest? And so this is, I suppose, the beginning. See, the way these trials are supposed to happen is you have someone is accused of some crime. So you bring them in. You look at the evidence. You have witnesses. And if they're convicted of this crime, and then they would administer the appropriate lawful punishment. But what we'll see here is before any witnesses, before any of that happens, they're already abusing the accused. And they'll do that throughout. And um, so Annas didn't, didn't find out a whole lot about that. And so he just send, sent him bound to, to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas would be the one then that the Romans would uh, consider the rightful high priest and would accept uh, his um, outcome for the trial. And so as time goes by here, it says another saw Peter. And again, they said, uh, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth and, and Mark, or Matthew says he denied it with an oath. So there's denial number two. That's in Matthew 26, 71 and 72. And then uh, Luke tells us about an hour had passed now. So I, I suppose the trial is going on and, and Luke is looking ahead just a little bit. And after an hour passed, another man uh, began to insist saying, certainly this man, Peter, also was with them for he is a Galilean too. Now, how did they know Peter was a Galilean? His accent. <laughs> And uh, Matthew's account, he said, surely you're one of these two for even the way you talk gives you away. And I'm assuming that's, that's the accent that it had. So I, I guess Jesus would have spoken the same way like a Galilean since that's what he was. But Peter began to curse and to swear according to Matthew and Mark and denying. He says, I do not know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed. And in Luke's account, he says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So that's the way we know that Peter was right in this courtyard where the trial was taking place. And so the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord had told him before the rooster crows day, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Talk a little more about that in just a moment. Luke tells us that after that, the men who were holding Jesus were mocking him and beating him illegally, I would say. They blindfold him, ask him, who's, who's, who is it that's hitting you and many other things against him and, and blaspheming. So that's what's going on. This man is uh, uh, supposed to be tried and convicted and then punished and they're punishing and then trying and wrongly convicted. So they got everything all backward. Uh, lesson number nine in our, our lesson guide. Uh, I'm in Matthew 26, verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. So you see they've got it backward. It's supposed to be here's an accused man. 
we look at the evidence, we listen to the witnesses, and then find out if he's guilty and then punish him. What they've done is they've determined the punishment first, and now we're going to find some way to accuse him to justify the punishment. See, they've got it completely, completely backward. So we're going to put this man to death. Let's find some reason to do that. So they did not find any, uh, they're looking for false testimony. They couldn't find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Now, uh, Mark tells us why this didn't work. They had all these false witnesses, but it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Mark says, for many false witnesses were, or many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. So, the, you know, the witnesses had to, well, you got to have two or three witnesses to condemn a man. Well, they had to be witnesses that agreed, right? And all these false witnesses, one was telling one thing, one another, one another, one another. So none of this was working out. So they, they weren't finding anything to accuse Jesus because the witnesses didn't agree with one another. And uh, finally, one of them said that Jesus had stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Well, Jesus didn't say that. <laughs> He did say there in, in John 2 and verse 19, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again, speaking of his own body is what he was talking about there. But uh, Mark says, even in this respect, their testimony was inconsistent. So even accusing Jesus of that, which would not be something that would be uh, require the punishment of death, but even in that, they were, they were inconsistent. So Caiaphas is, seems to be kind of searching. We've got to find something, something we can uh, accuse this man of so we can say he's, he's, he's uh, worthy of death. And so in Matthew uh, 26 and verse 18, he, he was questioning Jesus. Jesus was keeping silent. And he's in the, Caiaphas says, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Uh, that evidently was a, a phrase in the Jewish language at the time that was answering a question in the affirmative. You've said it yourself. In other words, you're saying, yeah, that's true. That, that is true. We know it is because in, in Mark and Luke's account of that same conversation, that's what they say Jesus said. He just said, are you uh, the Christ, the Son of God? And he said, yes, I am. And so that means the same thing as what uh, Matthew records. That he said, you have said it yourself. And so he went on to say, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has blasphemed. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And the answer, he deserves death. So now in their minds, they've conjured up a reason to come to the conclusion that Jesus deserves to die. And uh, another thought about it is that, that he admitted being the Christ. Well, the Christ would be a king, right? The anointed one would be the king over that kingdom that would never be destroyed. So if Jesus was claiming to be a king, then that might be something that the Romans would be interested in. And we'll see in a moment why that would be that would be important. And so here in the Sanhedrin court, the Jewish court, so then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? So we see 
going contrary to the laws and their hatred for Jesus and they took every opportunity to abuse him in, in every way that they could. Matthew tells us then about Judas after having seen uh, Jesus condemned to death uh, he had some remorse. This is Matthew 27 and verse 3. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he uh, felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders and saying, uh, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And these cold-hearted chief priests, what did they say? What's that to us? So what? <laughs> it was that, that kind of, of attitude. And so Judas then threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed and went away and hanged himself. You'll see a little more information about that in Acts chapter 1. There in verse 18 it says, Now this man Judas acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all of his intestines gushed out. Apparently his attempt to hang himself kind of went awry a little bit and did more than he intended. But the priest then said, well, you know, it would be unlawful to take this blood money and put it in the temple treasury, so we'll buy this potter's field with it. So again, you remember back in Matthew 23, verse 24, he, he talking about the Pharisees. He said, you'll strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So they would condemn an innocent man but by all means, don't take that blood money and put it in the treasury. We can't do that. <laughs> so uh, they're straining out a net and swallowing, swallowing the camel. I put some passages there on the overhead about Peter and Paul. And I, the reason I did that is Judas's attitude, and now remorse was good. He should have had some remorse, right? But what should he have done with that remorse? Re repentance and use it for good, right? You remember uh, when Jesus in Luke 22 had told Peter he was going to deny him three times, but he said, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He said, you're going to deny me, but you can turn that thing around, and when you do, strengthen your brother. Use the rest of your life for good. You're going to do something bad but now do something good with that. We see a similar thing with Paul uh, there in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, at least of all the apostles don't even deserve to be an apostle because of persecuted the Christians. But he repented and turned that into something good. Judas could have done that. There's a message for Have we all done something sometime? You just say, oh, boy, I'm, I'm just not worthy of Jesus. I'm just something that's so bad. And you just get all down on yourself. Well, the conscience of feeling bad is good, but what it ought to do for us is to repent and turn our lives into something good after that. So don't let the bad get us down and say, I'm so bad that I don't deserve the blood of Christ and I might as well just be down on myself the rest. No, you can turn it into something good. Peter and Paul did, Judas did not. So, uh, John 18, verse 28, then, the, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. This is where Pilate, the governor, would, ha would hold court in the praetorium. And it was early. This seems to be about daybreak. 
And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled and might eat the Passover. So again, that passage, you know, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They're going to condemn this innocent man, but by all means, don't defile yourself so that you can partake of the Passover. So why did they feel it necessary to take Jesus? They had already condemned him in their Sanhedrin court. Now they're taking him to Pilate. Why do that? Okay, the, the uh, Romans had not given the Jews the right to condemn someone to death. If it was a death sentence, then it had to be pronounced by the Roman courts, and it would be the Roman soldiers that would execute that, that judgment. So they brought him to Pilate. And therefore, this eight, uh, John 18, 29, therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him and said, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him. And Pilate said, well, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. So there's the reason why, as we've already said, that why they brought him to, to Pilate. And uh, I'm looking at Luke's account. And there they begin to accuse him. So now they had to find something that the Romans would consider uh, breaking their law. And so he, they said, uh, we found this man speaking of Jesus, misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Did Jesus ever do that? No. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. So they're lying all through this, all false witnesses. And they also said he, he himself is Christ, a king. So he thought, okay, the Romans will pay attention to this. He's, he's claiming to be a king. The Inference there was he would might lead some kind of insurrection, insurrection and uh, be an enemy of Caesar. And so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, it is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and, and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. What we'll find is five times at least Pilate would say that. I find no guilt in this man. In John's account, tells us a little more about that conversation. John 18 and verse 36, Pilate had asked him about being a king. He, Jesus answered, says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would uh, not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And in the end, Pilate said again, uh, I find no, uh, no guilt in him. So Pilate is kind of between a rock and a hard place here. He sees that Jesus is innocent, so he doesn't want to condemn him to death. But the Jews, the Romans tried to appease the Jews as much as they could to keep the peace. And he could see the Jews were all stirred up wanting to kill Jesus. And yet he didn't want to put Jesus to death. So what, what, what am I to do now? And so what he did is he found out that Jesus was from Galilee and he'd been preaching a lot in Galilee. And so a plan. It turns out that Herod, whose jurisdiction was Galilee, was in Jerusalem at the time. So he said, I'll get this off my plate. I'll send it to Herod and let Herod deal with this. And so that's what he did. And this is in Luke 23. So Herod at first was kind of glad to see Jesus, but what Herod wanted was a little bit of entertainment. He was hoping Jesus would, would perform some miracles, some signs for him, and he could be entertained a little bit. But 
Jesus just remained silent, and so Herod didn't get what he wanted. And so Herod and his soldiers, being this is Luke 23, verse 11, and Herod and his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So now it's, it's back to Pilate again. And so Pilate hatches plan B. Okay, plan A didn't work. So what can I do now to let this man go and yet not antagonize the Jews? So it was a custom at that time that once a year, apparently here at the Passover, that the Romans would release a Jewish prisoner back to the people, and that would be a means of appeasement. You know, just keep the peace. Do whatever you can to, to keep the peace. Don't cause riots and that kind of thing. And so uh, this is uh, Matthew 27 and verse 18. He says, For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. Mark tells us the same thing. So Pilate could see what was happening here. There was no real guilt in this man, but they were envious, and that's why they hated him so much. What were they envious of? Why would they envy Jesus? Jesus didn't have any money. Yeah, he was getting too popular, wasn't he? Getting too popular. So we got to get rid of this, this fellow. So, so anyway, uh, so he gives, he gives the Jews a choice. Pilate gives them a choice. Okay, here's this fellow Barabbas, and he's described as an insurrectionist who had committed murder and robbery. So this was a bad dude. So you can see what must have been his thinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a prisoner that is so horrific that they'll not want that fellow turned loose. And I'll give them a choice. You can either have Jesus or you can have Barabbas. Well, he underestimated their envy, didn't he? He underestimated their hatred for Jesus. And so all that accomplished was they cried all the more, crucify him. And he said, why, what evil has he done? And all the more they shouted, crucify him. And Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting. Looking over in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we see the second time that he tells them he, he finds nothing uh, in this man guilty that would require uh, the charges against him. And uh, in verse 20, Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. And he said, for the third time, why, what evil has this man, man done? I find in him no guilt demanding of death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. And that's when just about a riot started. Now, one of the reasons why Pilate, or another reason he was trying so hard to release Jesus is because while all this was going on, he got a message from his wife. And what did she say? Yeah, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I've suffered a lot in a dream tonight because of him. And so Pilate now, he's really wanting to release Jesus. But the more he did, the more he talked, the more he said he was innocent, the louder the cries became and it was just turning into a riot. And so he gets a pan of water and washes his hands and says, okay, I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You take it and take care of that yourself. Did that uh, resolve Pilate's guilt in this thing? 
What was his God-given responsibility in that position as governor? Administer justice, right? That was his God-given responsibility. But what he did, knowing what was just, put that aside and let mob rule. No justice, mob rule. That's what he did. So he could wash his hands all he wanted to, but that didn't uh, take away his guilt in this matter as well. And so it says he delivered Jesus to their will. And of course he uh, released Barabbas. He had to release one of them. And so he, at their request, he released Barabbas. And so he was going to scourge Jesus and then give him uh, to uh, back to the Jews. And tell us, uh, remember Pilate had been kind of going back. He'd go into the praetorium in the trial of Jesus, and then he would go out and talk to the chief priest and the Jews, and he would go back in and talk to Jesus and back and forth. And so in the Praetorium, then it says, the, uh, this is Matthew 27, 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the Praetorium uh, and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They, they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and put a crown of thorns, and they were mocking him and gave him a reed and uh, uh, was hitting him on the head with the reed and saying, Hail, King. So they're mocking Jesus and abusing him in a, in a way that was not lawful again. John chapter 19 and verse 4. Then Pilate came out again, out to where the Jews were, and behold, I am bringing him out, Jesus, uh, to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. There it is again. And Jesus, Jesus then came out wearing the crown and thorns and the, and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And so when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify, crucify. And Pilate said, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him, number five. But then the Jews said something that, that bothered Pilate. In uh, verse 7, it says, Then the Jews answered and said, We have a law, and by that law he ought, uh, he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Seems like that's the Pilate hadn't put two and two together yet. The son of God, and he must have thought back what his wife had told him. The son of God, righteous man. And so what did he do? He entered again into the Praetorium, obviously took Jesus back with him and said, where were you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So then Pilate said to him, do you not uh, Speak to me. Don't you know that I have the right, the authority to re release you or uh, to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. And I put Romans 13 verse 1 there that tells us that very same thing. That's why I said it was Pilate's God-given responsibility to administer justice. Now listen, it's John 19 verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. So even at this point, when there's a riot coming up here again, when he finds out he's claiming to be the son of God, he makes more efforts. Now, John doesn't tell us exactly what he did, but he did make efforts again to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes him out to be a king opposes Caesar. And so... Uh, John 19 and verse 16, so then he handed him over to them to be crucified. And John says that 
that uh, Jesus left uh, bearing his own cross. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, from the country and placed a cross on him to carry behind Jesus. Evidently, uh, Jesus began to carry the cross, but due to all the beatings, and no doubt they had been scourged, there would be a lot uh, loss of blood, he would be weakened by a lot of things, and apparently along the way he was unable to continue with the cross, and so they uh, commandeered a person to carry it for him. That seems to be what happened there. Any comments up to this point? Along the way, there were some women standing there weeping and mourning. This is Luke chapter 23 and verse 29. He said, uh, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves, for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. For they will say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For they, if they do these things in the dry, what will happen in, I mean, do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? So uh, I take that to what he's saying here is that if the Romans will do this or allow this to happen to the innocent, what are they going to do to the guilty? If this can happen to the innocent, the green tree, what's going to happen to the guilty? And it seems to be referring to the destruction of Jerusalem, which would take place a few years. And of course, Again, in the executions, it would be the Romans that would have to do the execution. And of course, we know it would be the Romans that would eventually destroy Jerusalem. And so they brought him out to uh, Golgotha, which is uh, translated a place of the skull. We've got five minutes to do less than 10. <laughs> Mark tells us that uh, this was the third hour. He says it was the third. This is Mark 15, verse 25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. So that would be, what, about uh, 9 a.m. that they put Jesus on the cross. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us that he was crucified with two robbers, one on the right and one on the left. And if you've noticed in your study through this, ever so often it'll say that the scripture might be fulfilled, that the scripture might on and on. Even when Jesus is on the cross, we still see the scriptures, the prophecies being fulfilled all along the way. Uh, what, would, what would it mean if there was even one prophecy that wasn't fulfilled? Then there's doubt. That, that puts a big dent in your faith, right? But we see that every single prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah 53 and verse 12 talked about being uh, crucified with the uh, transgressors. Then the, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us that Pilate put uh, inscription above his head that said, uh, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, and did it in three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The Jews didn't like that. So don't say king of the Jews. Say he said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. I'm not, not going to change it. And Jesus, always thinking about us, on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And I say us there, we weren't there, we didn't, weren't among those saying crucify him. And we weren't the ones that drove the nails, but our sins put him there just as much as theirs did, didn't it? And so Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so they crucified him and divided up the garments uh, 
John gives us a little more information. That one, there were, apparently were several garments. One of them was a seamless tunic, and they didn't want to tear up the tunic, and so they cast lots to decide who would get it. And again, it fulfilled the scriptures there in the 22nd Psalm and verse 18. There were several women there at, at near standing nearby. Uh, the mother of Jesus, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene were all there. And when Jesus saw his mother, he said to the disciple whom he loved, which evidently was John, standing nearby, he said to him, Behold, uh, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Uh, I take it what that means is he was he was caring. He, he wouldn't be able to care for his mother. He was making sure that she was going to be cared for. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us then that there were large crowds around and all were mocking Jesus. Uh, they were wagging their heads and said the one that said he was going to uh, build a re the, rebuild the temple in three days, save yourself. He saved others. He can't save himself. And, all those kinds of things. You can just imagine all the crowd and all the mockery that's, that's going on. And uh, the two robbers also were mocking Jesus, Matthew and Mark tell us. Luke adds a little bit more, apparently somewhere along the way, and the, the timing of this is not exact. We know that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, the sixth hour was when he was, that was the third hour he was put on the cross. The sixth to the ninth was the darkness, and somewhere along the way, apparently, one of the thieves repented. This is Luke 23, verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence and of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly I say to you, today you will see me in paradise, Jesus replied to him. Truly I say to you, and we'll end here this morning, that truly today I will see you uh, be with me in paradise. Now there are some who say, see there, baptism is not required for salvation. What about the thief on the cross? Jesus said nothing about being baptized, and of course he couldn't be. He was nailed to a cross. So how would you answer that? And of course the answer is they were still living under the old law of Moses, right? Jesus hadn't died yet. Everybody was still subject, or the Jews, to the law of Moses. And we know from Matthew 9 and verse 6, Jesus had the power to forgive sins while he was here on the earth. And that's exactly what he did. But when he died, that took away... Uh, the old law and now we're subject to the what uh, the Apostle Paul calls the law of Christ any comments on any of that that we've covered this morning Lord willing we'll finish up just a little bit there in, in the lesson 10 and try to do 11 and 12 and, and conclude our study next week thank you